I feel like that's that's when I play my best, you know, where I'm not putting all these expectations on myself. I'm just out there playing free. You know, it was almost like I was I was out there playing uh, in the park with my friends, you know, and just happened to be a World Cup final. Welcome to the Just Women Sports Podcast, where we talk to the biggest athletes in the world about the untold stories behind their success. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and my guest today is Carly Lloyd. Carly Lloyd is the definition of a living legend. As a member of the U.S. Women's National Team, she's won two World Cups and two Olympic gold medals, scoring the game-winning goals in both Beijing and London. A two-time FIFA Player of the Year, Carly's iconic hat-trick in the 2015 World Cup Final earned her the golden ball as the best player in the tournament. Carly, welcome to the show. Hello, I've missed you. I know, I was just thinking, I haven't seen you in so long. It's so weird. It's crazy. How you been? How's the knee doing? The knee's coming along. I'm starting to now jog and um, been increasing that, doing some ball work. So I'm, I think I'm kind of over that that little bit of jump and uh, ready to get after it. I'll be missing you guys in camp though. I know, I know. I was pumped. I thought that you would be there, but be you will be missed. What? <laughs> Gotta be patient. I know. Patience is important, especially with injuries. Look at you. So professional. Well, I first want to say that before we get started, what I love about your story is that it's one of resiliency. And I think a lot of people know you for your big moments and these big goals you scored and these like legendary games you've taken over, taken control of for the U.S. But I don't know how many people know how much you've had to overcome and how many obstacles and setbacks and almost doubt that people have placed on you or in you, but then you've always continued to shine and you've stayed resilient. So I'm excited to dive into that today, but to get there, we have to start from the beginning. So what was childhood like for you? When did you start? When did you first get into soccer? So I first started when I was five. Okay. Like any parent, my parents just signed me up for soccer in Delran. Delran was a very small town. Everybody knew everything about one another. It was a, you know, it was a working class neighborhood. They also signed me up for piano and ballet and some of these other things I absolutely hated. I ballet. just wanted to be outside. Yeah. Just wanted to be outside, wanted to be playing sports. I'd come home from school. I would drop my bag, my book bag, and I would just go outside and, and play with the neighbors. And we'd play, you know, anything from roller hockey in the street to football, basketball, softball, jailbreak. We played jailbreak back then. Nice. Yeah. I was I was a typical tomboy, loved playing sports. Was soccer the first organized sport that your parents put you in? It was. And I loved it like from an early age. I think, you know, people always ask like, was that your first passion? I mean, it it really Mm -hmm. was. Was Everywhere I went, I brought a ball. You were probably the same. Well, it wasn't. That's a thing for me actually. Yeah. I didn't really like, I mean, I liked, like you said, I was, I was a tomboy, played outside, was always active, did tons of different sports, but I just really, I like to compete and be outside, but soccer wasn't probably my favorite sport until high school. Okay. Yeah. So you, it was your first love. First love. Yeah. Went everywhere with the ball. Did you play other sports growing up? I did. Besides ballet? (laughs) Gosh. Yeah. Piano. I would like never practice. I was terrible. I even did the flute. I was like, why, why do I have a musical instrument? I hated it. Could you play the piano now if you needed to? I don't think so. I have no idea. Okay. 
Yeah. I actually swam for our local swim team till I was about 18. That was brutal because practices were early and the pool was, which is funny because you know me to plunge myself into really, really ice, cold ice baths. Exactly. Yep. Back then, I wanted nothing to do with a Hated cold it. pool. Hated it. Hated it. Uh, little that I know that it would be, you know, my all-time favorite recovery tool. So you did a ton of different things, and but you said soccer was your passion from the get-go. You loved it. At what point did you realize soccer was what you wanted to do? Uh, I think as I started with the Medford Strikers club team, I was in middle school. So I went on from you know sixth grade up until I was a little bit younger than everybody. So everybody else was uh, a year older than me. So my junior year of high school was when I ended with the team. But I would say all throughout that time period, I was really serious. I played high school soccer as well. And then, you know, you're getting on the radar, the college radar. But, you know, that... Also, you know, being able to watch the 99 World Cup team at Giant Stadium, I went up to a game. My mom dropped my sister and I off. We were, I think, up in the nosebleeds. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So that definitely played a role in me wanting to, you know, wanting to do that. Play for my country, for Olympics, World Cup, you name it. So you think that was what planted the seed? Because was that the first time that you had really, you had seen the women's team play live or at all? No, that was pretty much the first time. And I remember being at the Jefferson Cup with my Medford Strikers club team and they were doing a lot of promotion with the World Cup. And I even met, I think Fawcett was there. Foudy may have been there. I've got this poster with their autographs on it, which is which is really funny. It's funny right? how things have kind of come full circle. So yeah, that was, uh, they played a huge role, you know, just like we're playing a role in this next generation of players. They played a huge role in, in me and what I wanted to do. So at what point did you realize that you had the it factor, that you could go super far with soccer? I think people thought I had the it factor before I thought I had the it factor. Yeah. You know, I was very hard on myself. I still am very hard on myself. I've always just kind of been that player who's always wanted more and more. And so I, I remember, you know, high school coach, club coach, even college coach, you know, they're like, you could play for the national team. But I just didn't have, I didn't have that confidence in myself. I didn't really fully think that I could do it, but I had something special and unique about me. And I think that's what people liked. I wasn't the fittest and I probably didn't have the, the best work ethic back then. But yeah, I, I would say it was more of others than than me. Isn't that cool? I feel like that's maybe people don't talk about that enough or maybe they do and I just don't realize it. But for I was the same way. It's so important to have these people instill confidence in you or especially at a young age to be like you could, they can see all this potential. And as a kid, sometimes you, you don't even know what you're capable of, but having people around you that are supportive and and believe in you, I think is underrated and super important and getting far in life in general. Oh, it's massive. Yeah. Yeah. So did you play ODP? I did. Okay. Yes. Did you go to any youth camps before college? I did. So when I first tried out for ODP, I didn't make it. I was devastated. A couple I of didn't players. Either. This is so funny. See, look where we ended up. <laughs> Love it, it all has a way of working out. It does. I made it the second time. And uh, it was fun. I mean, for us, ODP was was the pathway through. It was 
the only pathway through. I remember, you know, being on the state team and my dad and, and another dad of a girl I played with on my club team, we would carpool. We'd always meet at this gas station and it would be tough because you're balancing club soccer, you're balancing school. You know, it was often kind of later at night. So yeah. it was tough getting home at night. But yeah, ODP was was fun. It was tough. So at what point did you start thinking about college? Because as everyone knows, you are a Jersey girl. You were born and raised in Jersey. So was it always the type of thing where you knew that you would stay and go to school at Rutgers or did you look elsewhere? The college process for me, I actually decided pretty late in the game. You know, it was tough. You're, you're yeah. trying to pick a school that you somehow need to know if it's going to be, you know, the best situation for you for for four years. You've mm-hmm. got to pick a major. There's a lot of these life changes that you're having to kind of go through. And so for me, I took my official visits because I don't even know what they do if they do official visits anymore, <laughs> but it's changed so much. I went to University of Maryland, West Virginia University. I did a visit at Rutgers. Um, I didn't do a visit at UConn, but I was talking to to UConn and NC State. I actually went and visited. Yeah. But it ultimately came down to West Virginia and Rutgers. Uh, I absolutely loved, I, I've told Nikki Ezzo Brown, who's still at West Virginia coaching, I've told her to this day that you know, I wonder what it would have been like if I went to, you know, your school and played for you. I thought she was amazing. Um, but there was something about Rutgers, you know, Glenn Crooks was the head coach there. It was his first year. He recruited a really good uh, class that was coming in. That was my class. And I wanted to help build the program up. And I was dating my boyfriend, Brian, who's now husband at the time. Um, we've been, you know, high school sweethearts. Together forever. Gosh, 20 years. So freaking cute. Nuts, man. Um, So that played a little role as well. Uh, It was about an hour from my house. And uh, yeah, I just, you know, it it was the right fit. It was a good education and made the decision. And it's played a role in my journey, no doubt. Yeah. Well, it obviously was the right decision for you because at Rutgers, you were a first team all Big East for four straight years and you ended your career as the school's all-time leader in points and goals, which is very impressive. How was your playing experience at Rutgers? It was great because I had the support from Glenn and, and Mike and the, the rest of the coaching staff to, to just be me. I was an attacker, you know, uh, through and through. I didn't like defending. I didn't like having to run back. I did not like being a box-to-box midfielder. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, not something I did. So I would let all my teammates do that. Sorry, everybody. And then they'd get the ball up to me and I'd go do my magic and, and try to make things happen. That's just what I love to do. And so I was I was able to do that. I was given the the freedom to express myself. And I think that's what's really key with, with players today is that you, you don't want to put players in a box and not let them express themselves. I think that's, that's what makes teams so amazing and, and players so amazing is to kind of give them that freedom to, you know, to be themselves. But, you know, obviously I had to learn eventually that, I've got to become a box-to-box midfielder. The and defense gotta... wins championships. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So during this time, you're playing on the youth national teams as well, correct? 
Yes. Uh, just pretty much the U21 team. Okay. And when did you get called? Was that your first team that you got called up to? It was, yeah. I was a little bit, bit of a late bloomer. And when did that, what year did that happen in college? Uh, it was around 2000, 2001-ish, I guess. So I graduated high school in 2001. And so my last year of regional camp, that's where I got selected with Jerry Smith to go and stay and, and uh, train with the under 21 national team. How was that experience? Was that, did it feel, well, just how was, how was that experience? It was, it was tough because I, I feel that throughout my entire career and my life up to that point, you know, I was always the go-to player. I was the best player of every team. And then I go to that team and I'm sort of out of sorts a little bit. And I found my little niche of, of people, but it, it was really hard. It was competitive. Everybody was so good. I wasn't fit. You know, I, I could, I could do some magic every now and again, a little back heel here, here and there, um, take a shot from distance. But, um, it, I, at that point I, I knew that I had a bit to go to, to reach my goal of, of playing for the full women's national team. So how long were you on that team on the U21 team? Because you eventually end up getting cut from the team. You've said elsewhere that you thought that your career might be over when that happened. Yeah, I'd been playing for a couple of years with the under-21 team. And then uh, Chris Petroselli, who uh, is a Jersey guy as well, um, probably why he was pretty blunt with me, he was choosing his Nordic Cup roster. Um, the under-21 national team, the only thing we had was every summer we played in this you know, Nordic Cup championship. Yes. And you wanted to get selected for that. So he got to me, met with me, and... He was, he was honest and I respected his honesty. You know, I didn't at the time, but now I do. And, and he just said to me, look, you, you have talent, you, you do things that not everybody uh, else can do. And I just think that, you know, we're needing more from you. We're needing you to be more fit, uh, to be more consistent. And of course I left that meeting absolutely hating him, blaming him, blaming others. Wasn't my fault. How could he not pick me? Um, called my parents crying and I just told him, you know, I'm just going to come home. I'm going to continue playing Rutgers, um, collegiate soccer, and then I'll, I'll figure out what I'm going to do. And, uh, and that was it. And that's when I got introduced to a guy named James and, uh, we, you know, just started working together, uh, from 2003, to just recently we've now gone our separate ways and yeah so it's you know life is a journey and it's been fun and tough so this was certainly a turning point in your career it was because i had to learn how to train how to become a pro what was needed how fitness needed to be important you know like yourself you you've always been fit right well there's one time in my <laughs> youth career that I showed up at a, I think it was a regional camp and we were playing a little tournament and I got pulled in the 22nd minute because I was so unfit. And it was me and Nikki Washington. And we both looked at each other. We're like, oh my God, we can never let this happen again. So you might think I've always been a little fit person, but no, you got to have those moments, right? Teach you something. I mean, someone like you, Heyo, uh, Mitzi, like me looking at you guys thinking 
you know, you're more of the naturally fit people. I wasn't one of them. You know, for me, it was my skill and my will, my passion and all that. So I had to, you know, I had to learn that this needs to be a 24 hour, seven day a week job. Uh, I've got to take care of myself on and off the field. I've got to, you know, do certain things, stretching, hydrating. And I think when I sum up kind of my 15 year career so far, you know, you have to evolve as a player, number one, but you know, being fit is, is so, so important, especially when you get to the the top and you know, everybody has the skill and the will and the passion and, you know, you've got to separate yourself. And so you have to be fit and you have to be mentally strong. That makes perfect sense to me. And you have done that. So at this point you met James and would you say that you had that mental fortitude before you met him and you've always had it or was something that you had to learn how to kind of shape that tool of yours? I think when I came to him, you know, I had been a national team player who was right there. You know, I was on the cusp. I actually ended up getting cut and then there was an injury to a player and I actually made the roster. Oh, you so went, to, I the actually Nordic, that Nordic went Cup. to the Nordic Cup. Yes. And then, you know, I came back and then, you know, started, started working with, with James. So I think there's a big thing between, you know, taking someone to the next level, coaching them, helping them, but you know, you can't coach will and passion. Absolutely. Some players have it and some don't. And yeah. so I had been longing for, for someone and something to, to kind of come along and to guide me, you know, and, and to help me through. Uh, because I was willing to literally do anything and everything possible to to try to be the best. That's just sort of how I'm wired. If I can't do something, I'm going to do it until I can do it. So yeah, I mean, he he taught me the importance of of working hard every single day. You know, it doesn't matter how many goals you score, just be the most hardest working player out there, and and eventually that just becomes second nature. Same thing with with fitness. You know, you can't cut corners with fitness. You've got to got to get out there. Got to do you know the dirty work. It's going to be hard. It's going to be miserable. So what did post college look like? Well, I finished my eligibility in two thousand and four. I took an extra semester to graduate. So I graduated in 2005. The women's national team at that point was uh, in their contract, their CBA disputes. They were uh, fighting for, you know, health benefits. They were fighting for guaranteed contracts so that many of them, you know, they didn't have to work and they could, could actually be professional athletes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So they were fighting for all of these, you know, bonuses and, and whatnot. And I kind of had come into that. And so 2005 was, was sort of a, a weird year. I had earned two caps under the team. My first cap came in July of 2005. It was actually, I believe, Milbert's 100th cap in Portland, which was cool to be a part of. And then a game against Mexico, which I tried to break everything in my my way and the goal by hitting this shot as hard as I could. And I actually fell and then came down and broke my wrist. You know, your second game in your first U.S. goal, scoring your first U.S. goal. You broke oh, I wrist. didn't score. I didn't. My second cap, I, I broke my wrist. Yeah. 
I tried. I tried to score. No, I didn't. I didn't score. I don't even think the ball ended up anywhere close to, close to the net. Oh my god! So I played two caps, and then you know I'm um, have a broken wrist and recovering that, and then 2006, you know everything was was sorted out, and and we kind of begun the typical January camp and Algarve Cup and and all that, and here we are, 2020. Yeah. So 2007 World Cup year. How are you feeling leading into 2007, into that year, into the World Cup? Were you feeling confident that you'd make the team? I was, yeah. I would say in 2006 is when I started to kind of win a, a starting spot. 2007 under Greg Ryan was was a little interesting. We, we kind of changed our, our lineup a couple of times. I was in the starting mix and then I wasn't in the starting mix and then I was. So when we went over to China... I started the first three games and then I didn't play the next uh, three or so. Not what I expected my first major tournament to be like. It was disappointing on so many different levels, but it made me stronger in the end, yeah. you know, so. So you played in the first three games of that World Cup and then and how, you know, World Cups are positioned. You have your three group games and then you go into the elimination rounds and in the first elimination game, you guys were playing England and Greg Ryan decided to not start you. How did you handle that? I was pissed, of course. It was just an emotional roller coaster because like I said, I you know, I wasn't in the starting lineup right before and then I was and then to play the the group games and then to not play in that game, it was very disappointing. But you and I know that, you know, this team you you've you've got to prepare for anything and everything. And, uh, you know, you don't know what's going to happen at any moment. Something can change. And so I, I just, you know, handled it the way I could. I eventually, you know, got on and played very few minutes and just, you know, did what I could to help the team. Yeah, it is true. You have to be, anything can change at any minute and you have to be ready for anything, which leads me into my next question which is about the brazil game of that world cup it's kind of a notorious game at this point in u.s soccer history greg ryan benches hope solo who had been the starter the entire tournament plays brianna scurry u.s loses 4-0 you stood by hope after that with everything that happened hope criticized greg in the media there was a lot of turmoil give us a little insight into that time I mean, that game was embarrassing, number one, but I feel like it just kind of summarized that trip, unfortunately. It, you know, we had the players. We were pegged as as a team that was potentially going to win that World Cup, and we fell short of it. We fell real short of it, and it was disappointing. There were a lot of emotions. You know, that game in particular, you know, hope hope it felt like to, to yank her at that moment, you know, it was just, it's just kind of uncharacteristic of a coach to, to ever do, especially yeah, in, very in, odd. A, in the heat of the moment, in that particular moment. You know, Scurry is an amazing keeper and uh, there's no no doubts on her, but it's Absolutely. something to be said of, you know, having not played up until that point. So Hope and I actually, you know, weren't extremely close until this moment. Okay. I've always tried to look at situations differently. I've always tried to kind of remove my emotions, you know, right then and there and, and, and kind of take a step back and, 
just try to view it in someone else's eyes, if that makes sense. And so what was happening to Hope, you know, she spoke her mind in the media. Um, I can't sit here and say that, you know, she should have, she shouldn't have. It was what she felt at the time and, and she said it and did it. I just didn't like the way that people were treating her you know, ostracizing her from the team and meals and couldn't fly on our plane. I think there's just a certain level of how we could have handled that situation a little bit better. And so I just, I felt bad. I felt terrible for her. You know, at the end of the day, she's a human being and I decided to, you know, just stick by her. Uh, It wasn't because I, I fully agreed with, you know, everything that, that she did. Um, I just, she had no one. And I just felt at that, that moment that she needed somebody. And, uh, she was, you know, she was sick over it. She had been shedding tears and, um, and all that. So I just tried to be by her side. And, and from that point on, we, we kind of became closer. For sure. So full disclosure, haven't read your memoir, but in the prep, the people who helped me prep for this, they have obviously read your memoir and in it, you talk about there being a double standard for women. You said that men are allowed to critique their coaches all the time without it being a huge deal, which I agree with. So do you think it would have been different if Hope was a male player, male coach, said those things? I do. And, you know, we're looking all the way back in 2007 when there was no Twitter, there was no Instagram, there was no social media. (laughs) Like, And... You know, that that's like with me, just, you know, watching sports and 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 watching the social media world and and just, you know, feeling bad for people out there because there's so many people that think they know the situation and, and they just don't. And yes, I believe that back then, two thousand seven, there weren't many female soccer players in particular who spoke their mind. And people aren't used to that. So, you know, could you see somebody, football, basketball, baseball, whatever, you know, perhaps maybe saying something along those lines? Yeah. And and maybe not getting the wrath that that Hope did. Absolutely. I think that it it definitely was different. Agreed. So 2007 was a shitstorm. No other way to put that. It was. But you go into 2008 Olympics and you're back to being a starter. New coach, Pia Sunhag, is the coach of the national team. You guys do very well throughout the tournament and you go in to the gold medal game. It's against Brazil. It goes to extra time, 0-0. And you score the winning goal from outside the box. Carly Lloyd blast. See, even though you broke your arm the first time you tried it, (laughs) it paid off. You know, you take those shots. Put me in your mind during that game. Well, I just have to say the 2008 Olympics was probably one of my most special team wins, not taking away from any of our wins that we've had together. But it was, a you know, there was a lot of things. Um, We didn't have Abby and, you know, she... I don't need to speak on Abby. She's the most dominant force that that played for this team, a a true and and total winner. So we had, we had that against us. And then uh, we have 2007 against us. And then here we are, you know, kind of coming into this gold medal match against Brazil. And this was, this was revenge. Um, (laughs) And we, you know, under Pia, we had 
just, it, it was a breath of fresh air because we had a new system and she had wanted to play a different, different style of play. And so it, it was really exciting to be a part of that team. That match, I had been playing every single minute up until that point. After the regulation ended, we're zero zero. You know, mm-hmm. Marta had been doing her thing. Christiani had been doing her thing. They were such a star-studded team. So that game, we were on our heels a bit, you know, and we did have, you know, some some chances as well. But after the regulation ended, I remember looking over to their team, and they were all keeled over, and their hands were on their hips, and and we were all standing tall and strong. And, uh, in that moment I said, you know, we just have to keep going because we're going to, we're going to get that one opportunity at one chance. And sure enough, we did. It it was actually a, a Cheney, A-Rod and me kind of sequence that went on. And I took a touch that just beat the defender and cleared me a path to, to hit it on goal. And the way that I struck it, it was low, but it bounced right under the goalkeeper's arm. But yeah, it was it was one of the most exciting times of my life, you know, to, to come home as an Olympic champion. And it was it was special. I mean, we'd love to have had Abby there, but, you know, everyone was kind of writing us off and, and we all found a way collectively and everyone played a role. How did it feel to win your first gold medal? It was amazing. Yeah, it was to stand up there, to have the medal placed around your neck. Um, it's, it's an indescribable feeling. I mean, you know, it, it's just, uh, world cups are amazing. There's just, you know, there's something about the Olympics. So true. It's so true. So you're on this high of winning your first gold medal. Um, and again, talk about this in your memoir, you come back to the U S you have this, you know, welcoming from your town. There's a parade, but you've had a falling out with your family at this point. But how did that impact the way you approached your career moving forward or or after those Olympics? Yeah, I was, I was riding on a high. Um, you know, I think everybody has something with their parents, um, their family, you know, you, you, you butt heads at times and, you know, I, I wanted one thing in my life and that was to, to be the best soccer player that I could be. And, success, you often pay a price for it sometimes. Um, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And so it was hard. You know, I, I do look back and I feel bad that, uh, you know, 2008 ish was kind of the last, the last time my, my family was a part of certain things. And, uh, yes, they were watching from afar and they were still, uh, my biggest fans cheering for me. And it, it was difficult, you know, but, uh, I think when when you're tunnel vision and, and driven, you, you almost have to become like ice cold and frozen. You know, nothing can can chip away at you. And so uh, I think that as I've gotten older, I've maybe become a little bit more uh, softer. You've warmed. Your little heart's warmed. Warmed up a little bit. We can't get back what we, we lost, but we just can put one foot in front of the other and continue on this journey. Yeah recently posted on Instagram saying that you wanted to mend some of these relationships that you might have hit rocky times throughout your career. So if you want to share, is there something that happened or just time at home? I mean, I don't know if you want to touch on that and you can feel free to say no. No. Yeah. I think, 
you know, coming home after the She Believes Cup in mid-March, I was gearing up personally for a very busy March and April. And then everything gets canceled. (laughs) Literally. I flew home from Dallas. I did one appearance and then I was supposed to go on the road again that following day, next day. Um, and then it was like cancellation, cancellation, cancellation. I'm like, okay. Then it's Olympics pushed to another year. I'm like, yep. okay. Um, so we've we've never had this much time. I've never had this much time to to sit, to reflect. I've been home with Brian, which has been amazing. Um, we've connected more than probably ever in our entire relationship. And I wasn't busy and I was injured. So I've... I've gotten to kind of live a little bit. I've, you know, been able to spend more time with friends and family. And so I feel really good about things right now. I feel really good about where I am as a person, as a player. Um, My knee's doing great. So I'm on the mend with that. And yeah, it's just, it's good things. I mean, it was having my family over here just recently. Yeah, it's been 12 years. So um, I've been speaking to my sister for uh, about, four years now, uh, since my book came out. Um, I've met, met up with my brother as well. And my mm-hmm. parents were, were kind of the last. Um, so we're, I guess one big happy family somewhat again. Um, but you know, I think life is just too short. You, you get older, you realize what's important. I think I'm, I'm at a point in my career where I can still be driven, but I can also know the balance of life and my career. So, um, every day life teaches you something. So I'm just, here I am and just moving forward with everything. Feeling pretty good. That makes me so happy. I appreciate that. That just warms my heart. I appreciate it. Very, very happy for you. So back to your timeline, jumping to the 2011 world cup. Again, we're just going to skip right ahead to the final because, we're the number one team in the world and we're playing Japan. And I'm interested to know how you felt going into that game. I was feeling confident like we were going to yeah. do it. I mean, the way right. the way the Brazil game went, how crazy that was. I just felt like we're destined to do this. There's just something about this journey that we're on. So like you said, or I said, playing Japan, we go into PKs and you end up taking a PK and you miss. What was your mental dialogue like approaching that kick? Well, I mean, I felt confident in Brazil. And see, the problem was, is here we are a couple games later. Now I'm playing, you know, mind games with myself because I'm like, should I change my side? Because, you know, the Japanese players, I mean, they are, you know, diligent. They they feel like they study. They know exactly where we're going to be shooting it. But I learned a, I learned a big lesson, you know, and I remember talking to Shannon Box as well, and she was she was sort of feeling the same thing, and so I told myself I was going to go to the same direction. I was just going to hit it a little bit harder, and unfortunately, I sailed it way over the crossbar. Yeah, I felt like a failure. I felt like I let everybody down on the team, and um, you know, I stepped up to take a PK for a reason, and that was you know to help the team, and uh, that didn't sit sit well with me for, for quite some time. And it was never something that I, I truly felt passionate about and and practiced. So from that point on, from 2011, 
I said to myself, you know, this moment isn't going to define who I am as, as a player. And, and I am never, ever going to miss a PK in a major event ever again. Yeah. We talked to Alex earlier on the show, and we both thought that that quarterfinal game against Brazil was this turning point in national in U.S. women's national team history with Abby's, you know, late header and just the drama around it, the PKs, everything. Would you agree? Do you think that the team's popularity changed after those games? 100%. Yeah, I've, I've said that in multiple interviews. I think that from that point on, everybody started following us. Like we were America, we were like the dream team. You know, everyone wanted to watch us. Everybody wanted us to be successful. So maybe it was just better for all of us that we just had to wait 16 years to win the first one. <laughs> exactly. Maybe we needed that momentum, you know, to everybody to get on board. And that's so true. Social media and it just became this yeah, big, so you, big thing. So you missing your PK was meant to be. Yeah. Thanks to Boxy, Tobin, and I. <laughs> you guys just, you guys planned that for that specific reason. Well, so we come home to fanfare of like people being excited. And I remember thinking we lost. Why are people happy? But people were still so stoked that we had done so well. We had these crazy wins and games and that sort of thing. So that leads into 2012. You were, you know, you were starting midfielder. And or at least what I can remember, but going into the first game of the Olympics, Pia doesn't start you. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And she starts Shannon Box, Boxy, and Boxy ends up getting hurt in that game. So then you're back on the field. So how did you react to that coaching decision, which was very similar to what happened in 2007 World Cup with Greg Ryan of, you know, you had you had been consistently starting and then moved to the bench. Do you feel like you had the same reaction? Yeah, a little bit. You know, I would say my benching came when we played, actually, we played uh, in Philly. I had a lot of friends and family come. I was, you know, worried about tickets and this and that. And, you know, you, you want to perform well in front of your, your home crowd. For but sure. I actually gotten taken out at halftime, 45 minutes. I was in tears. Uh, I was, I was pissed. Um, I had been starting for Pia for, I mean, it was like multiple, multiple games. Yeah. Um, I mean, she came in in end of 2007 and you basically, yeah, you starting was the whole consistently time. starting. Yeah. Yep. So I remember being home for like t- 10 days maybe or so, you know, how we're always home kind of right before we leave. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was in tears and, um, I showed up at home to to train and train for like six hours. You know, you I remember did. I remember Mitzi was training with us as well um, with James and I, and she's like, "You're gonna burn yourself out." You know, I would I would train a couple hours, I would go home, I would chill, I would eat, and then I'd come back out again. Um, and you know, I was doing fitness, I was doing ball work, I was just doing everything. And you know, you always want to you always want to be ready for that situation. Like I said, you, you don't know when that, that opportunity is going to come. I remember, you know, going over to England. I remember, you know, just being the hardest working player there, doing really well, feeling confident, feeling sharp, feeling ready. You know, I was, I was battling for, for a chance to start. 
And I remember Pia coming into my room the night before the, the France game. And she said to me, looked me straight in the eyes. She said, we're going to need you. I need you to be ready because Shannon Box had gotten hurt mm-hmm. a little bit before the games. She was obviously all right and ready to go um, for the first game. So I said, Pia, I'm, I'm more than ready. Like, don't, don't worry. I'll, I'll be ready. So 16 minutes go, go by. We're, we're down, um, I think, 2-0. Boxy gets Wait, hurt. Wait, we, we went down that game? Yeah, we were losing 2-0. Funny thing is, funny story, prior to this, like the night before the game, I, you know, this is when I started my visualization and, and just, you know, thinking of, of things. Um, I actually visualized coming on and scoring the winning goal. So here we are 16 minutes. I don't even get to warm up. I, I take my, uh, my warm up jacket and pants off. I fly into the game and I'm playing holding mid. Like I think people a lot of people don't remember that, but yeah, you Lauren Cheney at the time, she was the attacking midfielder. Yeah. So I was holding mid, um, which I had to rein myself in a little bit and, and kind of stay back. But we end up going, it was 2-1, 2-2, and then I hit a shot from distance to make it 3-2, and then Alex closed with the fourth goal, and we ended up winning 4-2. Did you feel like you had something to prove? Do you think that was that motivating you? It was because I almost felt like, you know, players have bad games. Um, It's impossible to play great all the time. But the level that we're at, you know, there's a lot of players that can come in and and take your spot at any moment. But I had felt like I had given so much to Pia over the years and I had felt like she had just given up on me, you know, just mm. right then in that moment. Um, I can't falter for it because, you know, did it give me that extra gear? Yeah, probably. Would I have done what I did? Maybe not. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it, it motivated me more because the minute I got on the field, 16 minutes, my whole mindset for that whole tournament was to never give the coaches any ammunition to take me off that field. And I wanted to help the team win. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I just, I want to win. So, yeah, so it, it definitely motivated me for sure. I started to laugh when I said, do you feel like you're, mo- like, that you had something to prove you're motivated? And um, because I feel like, I mean, you've probably heard us say this, like, a pissed off Carly is a good Carly. Like, <laughs> when Carly's pissed off, we're going to be fine. Um, so, you... We, you come in, you know, you obviously, we have that incredible game. I now remember 4-2 against France. We go through the tournament. We come up against Japan in the finals. Again, we're playing them. And just like in 2008, put the team on your back. And you knock in, I don't even, you knocked in the first goal, like probably 15, 20 minutes into the game. And it's one of the funnier goals in U.S. history because I thought Abby scored it. (laughs) And you actually headed it in like behind her or something, right? You were behind her. Yeah, she was, I I think I had come from almost outside the 18. She was in motion to hit a volley. And then I just, the pictures are, some of the pictures are crazy. So good. And I I end up running to Abby because I thought she scored, but then I realized you're running towards the (laughs) corner flag. And I'm like, nope, bye, Abby. I'm going to go, you know, celebrate uh, with Carly. But so, um you you knock in a header and then you score again outside the box. We win two one, and that's 
two Olympics now, you know, you win your second gold medal and that's your second Olympics. You've scored the winning goal. Do you think you play differently in big games? I wouldn't say I play differently. I just elevate like it's, I don't know. It's like when a tiger is about to eat, like it's just, it just, you know, you just get that look in your eyes and you just, just elevate, you know, for me, it's, it's those moments. I've always been a big moment player at Rutgers at, with the, you know, Medford, my club team at Delran. I just love those moments to like rise to the occasion. Like, where does that confidence come from? Do you think, you know, it's preparation, but it's also, I don't know, it's been within me as a, as a kid, you know, and, and I think just, uh, you know, my mentorship with, with James over the years, kind of instilling that in me as well as has helped, uh, play a role, but yeah, it's just the, the bigger the game, the bigger I want to play. That's what I find so impressive is that you just go to a different level in these finals and you, and it's not just once, like it's not just one final. You've done it so many times, which again, takes us to 2015. And 2015 is interesting. The World Cup, you know, you, you're an established player on the team at this point. You've been with the team probably, what, 10 years now, but no World Cup wins. And we go into that World Cup. You're still playing midfield in the beginning, but as the tournament evolves and goes on, you move up to forward. So what was the domino in that change? Well, you probably felt it. You know, I felt like our team had a lot of pressure to begin with. We were labeled as the group of death. We had a really hard, challenging group. And and I just, from a player's perspective, just felt like we were playing a bit more defensive-minded. You know, we were not dictating how the other team was going to play, but it was almost like, okay, we were just going to adapt to how they were coming at us. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, playing in the midfield, we were essentially almost double sixes, uh, a little bit more defensive. For sure. And then it just, you know, it it sort of just kind of kept getting worse. We were winning and we were doing okay, but there was just a feeling like, yeah, we just like, how are we, how are we winning? (laughs) We haven't shown up yet. That's how I was. That's how I felt. We were all prepared. We were all ready. It's not like we all of a sudden just, you know, turned into bad players or, or whatnot. When we played the game against China, that's when the lineup changed because of yellow card suspensions with Pino and and Lauren. That's right. Um, Morgan Bryan had come in. She, played more defensive and and Joe met with me and said, you know, let Morgan Bryan just kind of clean up things behind you and you push up. Um, Amy Rodriguez was in front of me and and I could just kind of do my thing and create. Uh, you got a bloody nose that game, didn't you? I did because I didn't do what I was supposed to. I don't think in the box and like <laughs> went up for a header. I shouldn't have done it. I think I was jumping and you were probably should have been heading the ball. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. But, you know. But, but I felt like... I'm like, oh yeah, Kelly, like that, that to me was like our turning point. It for sure was. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, you getting a bloody nose, you know, just the way that that you play, the style that you play, the hunger, the competitiveness. I mean, it was, it was like great to have you out there because you're just the epitome of that. And I just felt like that's when we started to, to 
to take it to teams. Yeah. You know? Like we're the best team in the world. Like we need to be taking it to teams. And you're so right. I, I love that you said that because I, I have never been able to put that into words, but that's exactly what happened in that game is that we were finally like, no, we're, we're the best and we're gonna, we we're gonna impose ourselves on you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was, it was a good starting point for us. We had the momentum. I mean, from, from China to Germany to that, it was like, okay, we're going to do this. We don't want to talk about it, but we're going to just, I feel like the practice before the final was lighthearted, but focused, you know, everyone, everyone knew mm-hmm. how much was riding on it. And, uh, yeah, it was an epic final. It was amazing. It was well, let's talk about that for a second. You have the game of your life, the game of maybe anyone's life. You score a freaking hat trick. You score from half field. Take me back to the moment. Well, how did you feel like in the warm up going into the game? I felt good. For me, the only thing I was focusing on was just, you know, me personally just performing a bit better than I did against Germany and playing the role and doing whatever I could, not trying to, to overdo it, not trying to do too much. But I feel like that's that's when I play my best, you know, where I'm not putting all these expectations on myself. I'm just out there playing free. You know, it was almost like I was I was out there playing uh, in the park with my friends, you know, and just happened to be a World Cup final. And I just, you know, going back to 2011, you know, a lot of the older players, I wanted them to win a World Cup. That was a fun match to play in. Yeah, I bet. I was about to say, is that the most fun you've ever had playing a soccer game? It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Especially, I mean, all the goals. I mean, you know. uh, Yeah, I want to talk about the goals because you scored three of them. So what went through your mind when you scored? Well, before the game, yeah, that, that first play was designed for me. I was supposed to wait outside the box and then just come charging in. And, you know, for something like that, like you've got to anticipate where the ball's going to go versus the other way around. So when Pino, I don't even know, I think the ball was meant to be in the air, but it came through and and I just anticipated it, put it in the back of the net. Uh, It was actually the outside of my left foot, but it was, you know, doing whatever I possibly could to get the ball in the back of the net. And then the second one was sort of a a little similar in the fact that it came from outside the box and it kind of went through a couple people, maybe Julie or something. And then again, anticipating being a sniper in front of the goal and having it go in. Your goal from half field, which is one of the most iconic goals in soccer history. Walk us through how that happened. Because I remember you taking it and just being like, what the? Yeah, just <laughs> like I mean, no I, way. I used to always get to the field and just you know when we're kind of all getting ready to to start training and stuff, I would put the ball in the center circle and I would just try to you know you, you want to see the ball just hitting the back of the net from the mid stripe and so in that particular moment, um, the, the Japanese goalkeeper, she always played off her line. I, I always knew that I've always, I've always taken note of that when keepers play that far off their line. Mm-hmm. So I knew she was and the style that they were playing. She was, you know, kind of helping them build out of the back. Yep. So when the ball came, I took a glance up, I took, you know, a touch, another touch. And, and when the ball came off my foot, it was the most well-struck ball. I'm like, wow, I just hit that perfectly. You felt it. 
just felt it. And it was such a long way to wait because she's backpedaling. You know, if she touches it differently or, or whatever, I mean, the, the ball, she touched it and it still went in, thank gosh. But it was, I just decided to do that on a World Cup final day. So wild. So win your first World Cup. How did that feel? Again, it's just, it's indescribable. I mean, for, for me personally, it, it had been life-changing, you know, and I think it was life-changing for our team as well. Um, we talk about 2011, you know, really having people jump on board and um, with the coverage that Fox Sports had with social media, with it being in Vancouver. I mean, I think it, it just was one big explosion. You know, everything took off. I mean, we had... Uh, appearances and, and endorsements that that we all were able to to be a part of, and and it was just it was absolutely game changing for for women's soccer, in my opinion. I mean, everyone was writing us off. No one thought we were going to do it. No one even thought we were going to get out of our group. Um, and then we we ended up doing it, and we ended up showing the world why we're the number one team in the world, and why we we always find ways to win. But for me, it's, again, it goes back to the journey. It goes back to the process. You know, if you didn't have these things leading up to that, you know, you, you probably wouldn't be here. And it's the same with me. It's just, you've got to embrace the struggle and you've got to, you know, also embrace the good times as well, because they're, they're all part of the, the overall journey. Yeah, that and that I completely agree. And that kind of leads me to my next one. You, you kind of just touched on it, but you were named the FIFA World Player of the Year. And, you know, that that is the highest award you can receive as an individual. So what was that like? Yeah, it was amazing. You know, it, it just when when I set out on this mission, I, I wanted to be the best soccer player that I could be. And uh I've come across amazing players that I've played with, that I've played against, players who are more skillful than me or or do things differently. But, you know, I've always tried to embody someone, uh, a player and a person that has kind of many different attributes. And so to be able to win from a team sport uh, or team standpoint, you know, World Cup and Olympics, and then to have been able to win that most prestigious award was um just goes to show you that, you know, anyone is, is capable of anything. Um, it doesn't matter what town you've come from. doesn't matter what school you've gone through. It uh, doesn't matter if you've missed a, a PK in a World Cup final or if you made one in a, in a World Cup final. I think that's what ultimately makes it special. And it just helped to remind me of why I do this, you know, why you sacrifice, why you dedicate your whole life to things, why you give up any sort of normalcy of any life but it's all worth it in the end. Totally. So we're going to skip to 2019 and you're 36 at this point. Um, this is going to be, this was your fourth world cup and you were the oldest, most capped player on the roster. And you scored three goals in this, in last summer in the tournament and you one, I think the old things are funny, but becoming the <laughs> oldest American to ever score in a World Cup. And you're the first player to ever score in six World Cup games in a row. So you you had your 2015 goals and then in 2019. And we ended up winning the tournament. But during the tournament, you made headlines saying you deserved more playing time than you're getting. And then after the tournament, you called it 
the worst time of your life and your career, a lot of people were critical of you going public like that and saying those things. But I think what got lost in the shuffle of those comments and, you know, the media craziness is you always said you were, you were stoked for the team, but you just had more, you thought you had more to offer. What do you think people got wrong when they were attacking you for not being a team player? Yeah. So, you know, 2019, I think, I feel like my career has been from 2007 to to 2019. There's been uh, a lot of uh, highs, a lot of lows, but it's all part of my journey, my story. And I can't delete any of those because it's what makes my story about me and, and what I've had to endure and what I've had to go through. And so for me, you know, when I returned from my injury in 2017, I had just felt like I had seen the writing on the wall and, you know, I was going to be pegged as old and washed up and not good enough. And, and it just didn't seem like I ever really had a fair shot at, you know, earning a starting spot. You know, I, I think that from what people took out of, you know, what I said, I was just trying to be open and honest and to just tell people that even though you may think that you deserve something or you may think that you you could be playing and, and doing well, sometimes it just doesn't work out for you and, and you can't give up and you've got to give it all all you have. So when we get to the, you know, the 2019 World Cup, I just had to be the best teammate that I possibly could be. You know, I, I had to, when my moment come, give everything I, I had to help the team. If it was 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, 10 minutes, I had to do whatever I could. And, and it was hard. I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, it was hard coming in for, for 10 minutes, the last four games of a World Cup. But that was that was what I was dealt with. I can honestly say that I did everything I possibly could you know, everything. I, I left it all out there, you know, games leading up to the World Cup, games at the World Cup. And I was proud of everyone. You know, we we all collectively found a way. Every single player uh, on that World Cup team played a role. And I thought that was really, really special with the 2019 World Cup team is that, you know, it it, it was everybody. And, and yeah, um, you know, certain players stepped up and Pino did her thing and, and all that. And um, but it was, it was incredible to see. And, and I was really proud of, of every single player, um, because it was, it was special. I was still a part of that. So it was, uh, it was still amazing. I respect that you said that because I've been there before too, like in the 2015 world cup lead up to the game that I played or like finally started in those weeks were the worst weeks of my career. Because like you said, I, you felt like you had more to give and there's no faulting that. I think that that's something to be respected. You see yourself as you have a lot to give to the team, but regardless, you're going to play whatever role you're asked to play and you're a fighter. You want, you want to be out there. And that's the definition of a great player. Exactly. I think everybody has to, has to feel that, you know, if I was okay and, and just accepting of it, I mean, I, yeah, exactly. I shouldn't be there. And I remember telling Jill, you know, she's just like, well, just accept it. I'm like, I'm not going to accept it. You know, I'm still going to show up every single training session and every single game and every single minute I can play. And I'm going to prove that I can. Absolutely. Um, to go back and touch on, if you want to, is there something that 
In terms of your relationship with James and moving forward, you, like I said, on, on social media, you've said that you're no longer affiliated. I think it's Universal Soccer Academy. Moving forward, is that you? Are you now training on your own? What does that look like? Yeah, so um, just, you know, parting ways. And yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just going to be training on my own and, and finding different in, environments and some other people that I can train with. You know, there's there's tons of connections that I have in my area of uh, being able to train with boys. And obviously I'm, you know, on the men. So I'm, I'm on a little bit of a different, you know, timeline and, and all that. But I'm not worried. You know, I, uh, I know that, that life has thrown so much at me. Um, I've gone through so much as a person, as a player, I've haven't had my family in my life for, for half, more than half of my career. Um, I got it, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not worried. And, and I've got people in my corner who, um, I've got my best interests and are there to support me and just looking forward to moving to the future and putting one foot in front of the other. Love it. All right. We have two more repeat questions that we do every show. One, they say, work hard, get lucky. How much of your success is predicated on luck? I don't believe in luck. I believe that we all have an opportunity every single day to wake up and be better than we were the day before. And when you do that and when you take that approach every single day to try to be better, eventually good things come your way. So you got to give me a number, a percentage. Is it oh, zero? Percentage? Yeah. You give the explanation and then I, you know, I, I ask for the black and white number percentage. I would say it's 100% hard work. Um, You're the first person who said 100% hard work. Really? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. But I just I've don't like it. I just don't like the term. I don't I just don't like the word luck. I think right. you need That's things fair. to you know to go your way a little bit and for things to align. But yeah, I'm a big believer in, you know, just doing the right things every single day and working hard. Makes sense. All right, last question. You've accomplished so much already. Where do you want to go next and how do you keep pushing? Well, I'm reaching the tail end of my career. Uh been hopefully afforded another year opportunity to continue with the women's national team, uh, be a dream of mine to make uh, a fourth Olympic team next summer to win an Olympic gold medal would be amazing. And then we'll, we'll have to see what happens next. Awesome. Well, Carly, thank you for sitting down, taking all the time today because we have talked for a very long time and I'm thankful that I've gotten to play with you, to call you my teammate, to call you a friend. And I'm proud of everything you've accomplished and what you've done for this sport and just soccer in general has been awesome to watch. And again, thank you for, for being here today. Yeah, I appreciate it. You've always been uh, you've always been super supportive and keeping it real with me. So I uh, I appreciate that. I've always loved playing with you and uh, hopefully we continue to have a little bit more left of sharing the field together. Fingers crossed. I think we do. All right. Thanks, Carly. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. For more great sports content, go to justwomensports.com and be sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Our show was co-produced by Just Women Sports and Boom Integrated. 
big thanks to our executive producers, Haley Rosen, Adrian Glover, and Robin Lyne. John Murray and Sydney Shaw do our research. Production by Jen Grossman, Jeannie Montalvo, Victoria Gruenberg, Clint Rhodes, and Juan Garcia Ticulat. Special thanks to Jesse Louie, Haley Kottmeyer, Savon Nadler, Dory Newman, Isis Haywood, and Kathleen Lumabi. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and you've been listening to the Just Women Sports Podcast. Catch you next time.